Welcome to Pharma Launch Secrets, a podcast by Evermed. We host direct, actionable conversations with world-leading pharma launch experts that will help you launch your next product or indication successfully. Now, here's your host, Bozidar Jovicevic. Welcome to a new episode of the Farmer Launch Secrets Podcast. I'm joined today by Miriam Miwissen. Miriam is Managing Director at Launch and Lifecycle Biopharma, where they have a digital platform and agile methodology to focus on product development, acceleration of product launches, and unlocking additional growth potential. She comes from the world of pharma, so she was previously Global Head of Product Launch at Biogen and a Global Leader of Lifecycle Manager Lifecycle management at MSD in some parts of the world is MSD. In other parts is Merck. So people always ask that. And then there is another Merck, Serono, which also gets sometimes confused with that. So this was MSD. And welcome, Miriam. Thank you. All right. So the first thing uh, I want to ask you is you've been, been a farm executive for years and you decided to start a company focused on launches and life cycles. What led you to make that decision? Yeah, great to uh, great question. And first of all, thank you to invite me to talk to all the guests on this podcast. And what drove me? Well, first of all, cross-functional, cross-market program leadership in biopharma and medtech. What I really enjoy is realizing the one-on-one is three effect. And then specifically focusing on two topics. First of all, on value creation prioritization of value creation, and on the other hand, what are the opportunities to accelerate in new product planning, in launch, and in strengthening growth. And to tell you a little bit about my background, um, this passion really started in loss of exclusivity planning. So at the end of the life cycle, I know we're going to talk about launch, but let's start with loss of exclusivity planning, because there I heard numerous times we should have. We should have done this. We should have done that. So at a certain moment, one of my leaders said, well, you better go into growth acceleration because you all the time come with, we should have. But once again, in growth acceleration, you hear a lot of, we should have. And that really planted the seed to start to focus on new product planning, even way before launch. And if you look at market research, then about 70% of future drug sales performance is determined by early enough launch preparation and also by focused, prioritized value creation. So as from clinical phase 2B already, but also in the launch preparation, so think about between filing and approval, and also in very early commercialization, the majority of success is determined. So that was really the the reason what drove me in the direction where where I'm currently. Yeah, very interesting. So yeah, you start with LOE and then thinking like backwards. Okay, so I I worked in new products uh, planning a global ethnobartis a long time ago, and then and I worked on numerous uh, forecasts pharma, and I saw how those MPVs play out. And I've been in situations with you know five six years before the launch, <laughs> like and then like two years before the launch, when you're really trying to understand how the competitive landscape will look like <laughs> five years from now, looking at the all the pipeline competitive intelligence data. Now, where do you see the biggest missed opportunity or biggest potential for value creation? in that phase? Is it two years before the launch, three years before the launch? What it is about? Is it about looking at different indications? Where do you think is the biggest kind of lever 
that you found so far that has that long-term impact over the kind of life cycle of the product? I'm really curious about that. Yeah, and that's that's a very uh, a very good question. So if you look at maximizing the opportunity of a molecule which is brought to market, then there are really three critical components. So specifically, if you look at the future, you know, it, it, it makes sense to look back, but you better look at the future. And the first thing is we see that uh, the number of launches is really quickly increasing. So if you then look at those number of, of products coming to the market, then first of all, there is the time perspective. The quicker a new product or an indication reaches the patient, the more lives are saved and the more lives are are improved. The second thing what I see is um, your zip code shouldn't determine your access to healthcare. And I see that a lot of companies, they focus on the launch in uh, the US, the five EU, maybe Brazil, maybe China, but many organizations are not equipped for global launch. Maybe the very, very big ones, but if you look at the smaller ones, it's even going to be more complicated. So really to get your mind around global launch and then true global launch is quite a challenge. And from my perspective, it's not very ethical to say, I'm just going to focus on a couple of markets and the rest, probably they need to figure it out themselves. Also within there, you know, um, to ensure focus and prioritize cross-functional value creation, it is really key that we understand what each function can bring as an opportunity for contribution. Because we know that each function within a pharma organization can deliver something to that launch. The question is, what do they need to prioritize to serve the different stakeholders and the different needs of the, of the market? So bringing that all together is really a challenge. And that's what I call the 101 is three effect. It's bringing together the different functions to realize the best value creation outcomes for the specific markets where we know that the different market needs are varying. And within that perspective, I saw in R&D and I saw in clinical research that digital innovation, artificial intelligence is really enhancing the work they're doing. Now, you don't see a lot of digital and artificial intelligence innovation in launch planning or in value creation determination, where if you look at that, it could really help to drive your business. So this is really where, where I'm focusing on and what, uh, what, what I see as a key lever to bring to the business. Yeah, definitely. I'll ask you questions about that. Before we go into that, let's talk about value creation. So I know you use, the term, that, ter- you use that term and um, it would be great to understand what do you mean by value creation? Great question. And a lot of people are asking me that. And the answer is very simple. A true value creator is missed when it's taken away. And you see this to give you a couple of examples. You see a lot of apps and and innovations brought into the world from a pharma perspective. I also saw a lot of those value creators disappear and there was no one who filed a complaint that it disappeared, you know. So to be very honest, was this true value creation? I don't believe so. A true value cre- creator is when it's missed, when it's taken away. 
if a pharma industry, for example, launches a specific tool to help patients and that tool disappears and is not replaced by something even better, then it was a true value creator. So often you only see later on if something was a true value creator or not. On the other hand, you can also predict what could be very important value creators to bring in place. Are those things that are added on top of products or because you, you mentioned something like the sound of like a patient service or something extra, is, is that those are things that augment the product or something related to product itself? That's the part I didn't understand. And I think it's a very fair question you ask because you see a lot in pharma, a very focus on product launch, well, availability of product for launch. And on the other end, we know that in the end, we as pharma need to provide a treatment. It is not just sending the product into the market. We see that the best growth acceleration strategies come from companies who bring a treatment to the market and not just that individual product where the healthcare provider needs to figure out what they have to do with it. So if you look at value creators, I tend to split them not, as you say, in product value creators and, you know, let's call them treatment value creators, but I tend to split them in, in two other types. And that is, first of all, the uh, must-have value creators. Huh? For example, we know that we need real-world data to allow payers to understand the product value. And then there are the innovative value creators, which will differentiate the product, but also the treatment from the competition. And you can think about diabetes, immunology, neurological patients, where you could add medical devices, care pathways, digital tools to ensure that you strengthen that treatment for that patient. So if you look at those value creators, so which are going to go broader than the medical indication and the physical product itself, then unfortunately we see that often these are too late or included in phase three studies or are too late developed. So they only come later on and then in a very empirical way. So from that perspective, it is really key to make sure that also those innovative value creators are brought in place in a timely manner. So they are already available as from launch for those markets where you truly need them or those patients for whom you truly need them. Guy, do you think that farmers should develop those value creators that enhance the product value and augment it, or it will be developed or it is developed with external companies so that, that it's through partnerships that the value will be augmented? Yeah, super question. And first of all, I truly believe in collaboration between different industries. So fair point what you say. I don't think it should be owned by pharma. I can imagine it is a true collaboration. And maybe good to kind of walk through a couple of value creators to, to, to further clarifies, uh, you know, clarify what I'm saying. So for example, if you think about product value creation, then you can think about an effective SKU setup to reduce speed to market. This is something what pharma needs to do. But then if you go already a little bit further in product value creation, you can think about opportunities to use serialization data for product tracking and adherence. 
or opportunities for temperature and GPS tracking for hospitals, patients, and payers. So there you go already to your partnerships, huh? where probably, at least I don't believe, that pharma is going to own a temperature and GPS tracking system. So there you will need to have the partnership with someone who can provide those data. Think about another value creator, huh? regulatory value creation, and that is there are several opportunities to reduce the time to market when a new indication or a new formulation are launched. So also there, this is something what pharma needs to do themselves. The same probably for innovative ways to contract and tender uh, when you launch in, in competitive markets. And I work quite a bit in oncology and immunology where this innovation in contracting and tendering is really a, a key opportunity. Another one internally uh, I've been working on as an example is that was the launch of implantable contraceptions, where we did a significant decrease in cost of goods. We decreased the cost of goods with 90%. And the effect was really that the access to this product was really broadened. Much more women had access to this product. And then in combination with the fact that the implant could stay longer in the woman eh, from three to five years, we derived a very attractive uh, product for, for payers and patients. So it's all the time thinking like, what are the value creators, first of all, which can enhance the product or the treatment? And secondarily, can you do it alone? Or should you do it with uh, with a partner? Yeah, a lot of people think about that, you know, adding new indications. So that's why I wanted to clarify this. So the example that you mentioned are not about are not about that, look, straightforward. Okay, new indications. That's classical. Pharma does that. Has team about that. But really, from the point that the drug is on the market to the point that it gets used by a patient, the way I'm reading it is, and I'm listening it to it is like everything that stands in the way and that could be an obstacle. So how do we remove that obstacle? There's also this book called The Obstacle is the Way. So the whole idea of theory of constraints is that you first focus on the obstacles because once you focus on the obstacles, they are kind of visible and then you can start tackling them one by one, which unlocks value one, value two, value three. So as you were saying and giving examples that, you know, less typical and more typical, then that's what came to my mind. Do you have any specific framework that you use in order to approach a situation where you have a new client and they know that they have a hidden value, and but they don't know where it is. It's almost like it's somewhere in the dark and you need to shed the light on it. So how do you do that? I think that's, uh, that's yes. So the first of all, the answer is yes. I have uh, developed a platform and I'm going to be very candid. It started as a hobby. It really started from a passion. I was uh, at MSD, moved from brand to brand. As soon as a brand was under pressure, they moved me to that brand. And uh, the ask was end-to-end, -end, a carte blanche, figure out how should we improve the growth of the brand or how could we accelerate the launch of the brand. And I started to see certain uh, parameters which are always key in uh, driving acceleration and, and value creation. So what I did is I developed from there, from that knowledge, a digital platform and an agile methodology to accelerate that cross-functional and cross-market decision-making to ensure that there is a set of value creators 
determined which is the optimal mix to maximize the brand value for different markets and for different stakeholders. And what I don't say is that all markets should choose all those value creators. What I did is figuring out what are the drivers in certain markets which will help to adopt or where certain value creators can help to drive performance because that differs from from market to market. And if you look at organizations, at biopharmaceutical organizations, then what I did see is the development specifically for launch of launch excellence playbooks. And I think they're still really important to streamline an organization. But what I saw as well is that it's just not enough and that there is really a need for digitalization and artificial intelligence to drive the go-to-market strategy. So I think that this digitalization and agile methodology really leads to two major advantages. So first of all, the critical cross-functional and cross-market value creators, they are timely in place for launch in each individual market and really based on the needs of that individual market. So where one market is, as from the beginning, a tender market, the other market requires home service or they require uh, specific digital services for payers or for patients or for healthcare providers. And it is important to determine in advance, you know, what are those areas to focus on for that specific market. Having said that, I think in these days, it's too expensive to develop these value creators for each individual market. You see now often that they are developed for the big markets, there's the money, but then the other markets, yeah, they need to figure it out, what is feasible for, for them. So the second thing, I think this digital platform and also the other methodology increases the speed to market after market and price approvals. So also there, there is a lot to gain into uh, for specifically smaller pharma companies. Mm-hmm. And where you mentioned AI, so where does AI play a role in uh, in that process? Yes. So what you see now is that with the input of specific data from specific sources, in combination with uh, specific success stories, you can start to develop. Uh, really platforms which are not, as you say, trying to solve for the obstacles, but which can be much more uh, predictive. And just to give a little bit of a a comparison, in the past, when we had to go with a car from A to B to C to D, we did it in the past uh, from the top of our head. Maybe we used a map and that was about it. Now we all have in our car a navigation system And if you need to go from A to B to C to D, uh, your navigation system can help you how to drive. Or if you look at distributors, they have route planning systems. And this is also what we are trying to achieve for with our digital platform is to connect the dots to realize the critical value creation cross-functionally and cross-market in a very timely manner. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I see the prediction system using more and more. So marketing commercialization, next best action. If this doctor saw this, maybe the next step is to do that. I've seen it in drug discovery, probably one of the biggest areas, but area that I don't know much about. <laughs> but um, I see it more and more in 
commercialization. Some of the things you mentioned, just to echo what I've been seeing from my side, pharma, there was a time when I was at Novartis where there were nine product launches in one year. And I think that was a record at the time. And I remember the data was showing that two out of 10 launches are actually really successful. And even though there's a lot of debate on that. So it's like, how do we do nine? And I remember this launch excellence playbooks you're talking about and, and the sheer complexity of doing that for, you know, 50 plus markets or 100 plus markets with their different and different payer system and different augmentation and different diagnostics that's needed and, and all that. So it's super complex. And, and I think all the time, and that cross-functional collaboration, collaboration that you were talking about, all the time we're asking ourselves, okay, we want to do a majority of these things. We know we will not be able to do all of these things, but, you know, what are, what are the kind of top four to six things that we have to do? And then we do everything else as much as we can. And it's really, really hard. And it's almost like we're trying to get as much as help as possible. Almost, I was always imagining someone who comes in almost like a doctor and like has like a checklist of questions that they ask you so they can diagnose the situation and provide a prescription. So it's like, okay, so what about the temperature? What about storage, as you mentioned? What about can you stay long-term in the body? Can it not stay long-term in the body? What about, there's like a whole, like a checklist that I was imagining sometimes when I would get frustrated or like hundreds of questions. And then based on that, the prioritizing those questions and answers and say, well, based on the impact this can achieve and then, and then the ease of doing this, uh, sometimes we call it impact confidence ease, like how confident we are about the impact, what's the impact and what's the ease. Okay, we're going to, go, we're going to do these hundred things plus these four or five things we're going to make sure that we do it like, right. And it's really, it's really hard. It continues to be hard. I think it continues to be harder because commercialization pathways are not so clear anymore. Commercial go-to-market strategies have changed. The number of new molecules coming is increasing. So you hear like smaller launches, but many more launches to your point. And then now, okay, so good luck using waterfall approach <laughs> in this new world. So it has to be agile and digital and use technology. In, how does all this come together in terms of impact? Like that's a big word. So where do you see the impact of using those methodologies and approaches on farm organizations? Yeah, so... First of all, to go back to what you said, you know, the brain can no longer comprehend the whole range of a biopharmaceutical product. And the way to go is, as you say, is, okay, let's pick four and then the rest we forget. But we got to be very... No, forget. Try to do as much as we can because otherwise... <laughs> it won't happen. Let's say it that way. And this is what I saw in loss of exclusivity and growth acceleration planning, that sometimes those choices were not the right choices were made. Let's say it that way. Secondarily, the idea was pushed from the table, forgotten, and a couple of years later, it kind of came back as a boomerang, like, oh, we should have done this or we should have done that. And what we achieve with this digital platform is that you got a much smoother prioritization of value creators also over time. So I fully agree. Certain things, you won't have budget. You won't have time to do it for launch preparation, but don't push them from the table. Leave them on the table and make sure that you start to initiate that research in a timely manner to move on so that you also can much more streamline your resources. The other thing what I see is by using digitalization, you can get a really a saving of resources, of human resources, because you can, all these discussions you are talking about, it is really key that we 
we enhance those conversations, but even that we accelerate those conversations. And that is where digitalization can really help. Because if we look at product launch, then we see a couple of things. First of all, the number of drug launches is increasing really fast. So we see also because of artificial intelligence and and digitalization, fast tracking in drug discovery processes. We see uh, the same in clinical trial processes. We see the development of platforms, which are going to realize very much quicker than we were used um, products with exactly the right features. So from that perspective, the number of launches is only going to increase. And that's also confirmed by the EMA and the FDA, who are now figuring out how they can accelerate their approvals. So if on one hand, the delivery of products is accelerated, also on the commercialization and on the launch side, we need to look for ways to accelerate our way of working and our way of thinking. So this is really what made me think this that you know this could help the organizations to accelerate in what value creation should I bring to table now and what not. This is the main main point I'm taking from this conversation and I hope the the uh, listeners as well to think about those value creations early early earlier on and what they are and not and not get to a point, oh, we should have done this, <laughs> if you regret later on, because that's when the, when the value gets lost. Yes. And a few years have passed and didn't work. Great, fascinating conversation, complex topic. It will stay complex, but I, I guess with a lot of technology, it will, there will be improvements. I read yesterday that ChatGPT managed to pass exam for doctors, USMLE, <laughs> with good grades. I was like, wow, okay. It's very interesting because it, the AI doesn't even understand, it doesn't understand the meaning behind any, any word. It basically has a large predictive model that knows what the next word next word should be. So I'm like, wow, without knowing the meaning of the word, <laughs> being able to even pass, pass the test for MD, that was really remarkable. So for the very end, I wanted to ask you a few questions about yourself so um, everyone can get to know you better. What do you think will be the biggest industry buzzword of 2023? Can be in terms of product launches also. Yeah, no. And where I'm much more thinking about is acceleration, launch acceleration, knowing that we get so many new interesting molecules to the market, which really help patients. I really think that I'm not sure if it will be, but it should be launch acceleration. Launch acceleration. All right. Clear. What's uh, the best book you've read in the past year? I think it was the fearless organization. I see, and also applicable to pharma, still quite some pharma leaders who run their organization with a lot of power, with a lot of top-down drive, and really focusing on solving obstacles, where I think we need to focus much more on predictive opportunities, predict what the opportunities are, and step away from the the power leadership. What's your go-to song or go-to music when you need some inspiration type of music? I love Queen, but I also love a, a whole variety of other music. But um, I, uh, I Queen has, has been a, a very good favorite. Yeah. That's a great movie, by the way, also. All right, so what's the one sentence advice you would give to anyone just starting in the world of pharma and healthcare? My most important advice is where doors close, doors open. And I think 
within that respect, it is really key that at a certain moment you don't enjoy working in a certain space in pharma. Step away and have a look somewhere else. Maybe not moving to another company, but also within a company. Really look broader than the area where you're focusing on. I think that multidiscipline learning within pharma is really, really critical moving forward. Thank you. And then finally, where can people find you online? Online? First of all, they can find me via my website, which is launchlifecycle.com. And of course, you can reach me via LinkedIn very easily. All right. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Miriam, and wish you a good luck in your future endeavors and talk soon. Ciao. Same here. Thank you. Ciao, ciao. This podcast was brought to you by Evermed. Evermed offers pharma companies the fastest path to having their own Netflix-like on-demand video engagement hubs for doctors or patients. Make sure to search for Pharma Launch Secrets in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click on the follow icon so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Evermed, thanks for listening.